on? I can't even tell. You guys hear me? We're good? Okay, cool. If you guys are willing and able, let's stand for this first song. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Please be seated. non-members and uh, some new members. Uh, We hope to be making some announcements real soon. I'd like to make one special announcement this morning. Uh, Mike uh, and Samantha have given me permission to do this. Mike and Samantha are expecting a little one uh, in July. So some good news there. Congratulate them. Well, we're living in strange times, uh, you know, with the spread of the virus, uh, but the vaccine is on its way. And uh, that's a reminder to me, I think uh, sometimes, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but as Christians, we've been vaccinated. We're living under the protection of God. And it might not be, uh, it might not give us complete immunity uh, from Satan, but we are living under God's protection, and um, we can be thankful for that. It's not an exclusive club. It's open to everybody, uh, but it is nice to think about. Um, And as we worship uh, this morning, I want us to be thinking about the blessings that we enjoy. I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians, the first chapter. I think it's a good reminder uh, for us. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace 
that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a, pl a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Let's bow in prayer as we begin our worship this morning. Father, we're thankful that we can come together like this uh, as members of your church. We would ask that you be with us this, uh, this morning, Father, as we give thanks for all that you have done. Uh, we're thankful for the blessings that we enjoy because of your son. We're thankful for that plan that was devised from the very beginning to provide for us. And Father, we Prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. It was you, Lord, who sent the Savior. Heart and soul, Lord, to every man, it is you, Lord, who knows my weakness. You refine me with your own hand. Lord, teach your children to stop their fighting, start uniting. All as one, let's get together, loving forever, sanctuary for you. O oh Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Let's stand for this next song. We're going to get our workout in today. Lots of sitting and sitting and standing. <laughs> I stand to praise you. But I fall on my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Light the fire in my soul, and fan the flame, make me whole. Lord, you know. fire in my heart again. I feel your arms around me as 
as the power of your healing begins. You breathe new life right through me like a mighty rushing wind. So light the fire in my soul and fan the flame, make me whole. Lord, you know where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. So light the fire in my soul and fan the flame, make me whole. Oh Lord, you know where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. Amen. Please be seated. tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciples whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Thank you, Greg. We are continuing. Oh, I am really booming this morning. Do you mind bringing me down just a little bit, David? Like the resonant echo in my head. I don't need to hear myself quite that loud. Um, We are continuing a series we started last week called Everyone, uh, and we're talking about how God calls us as the church to find the way in which we fit into the greater body of Christ. Thank you, David. That's much better. Um, Last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep. He, he tells him to uh, care for his lambs, to tend to his sheep, to then feed his sheep again. And as we talked about that, what I wanted us to remember is that Jesus likewise calls each of us to feed someone. That as Christians, individuals who have discovered our relationship with Christ, who have been saved by him, who have been, in fact, fed by him, we are then called to feed others as well. And this week, I think that we have another lesson that comes from John chapter 21 that instructs us in what Jesus expects of us and our ministries um, as individuals, the things that Jesus would call us to. And so this morning, I want to look at the, the passage that Greg read to us, and I want us to unpack a little bit of it um, and, and maybe think about what Jesus is calling us to in our particular ministries. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I like 
the nitty-gritty details of a particular story. Um, if, I'm, if I'm reading a book, there's no such thing as too much extra information. That's why I really like the, the Tolkien books, uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion, all these extra appendices and everything that uh, Tolkien is known for. I, I really get excited about all the little details that a lot of people really don't necessarily need. Um, I want to know about this single-named character that happens in chapter 14 of book number two and why it is that they're significant to the overarching world. And so I get giddy and excited about things that most people probably have no desire to know more about. And so I go and I do extra research on things that kind of pique my interest, which is why sometimes when we get to the end of the Gospels, I find myself a little frustrated because we lose track of a lot of people. See, uh, in, in the Gospels, there's all of these disciples that surround Jesus, and they've, they've got names and places and moments in which they meet Jesus, and they, they come to their faith and their belief, and they follow him, and they witness the miracles he performs. They, they see him after the resurrection. They experience, maybe from a distance at least, the, the crucifixion. They know the story inside out and backwards because they lived through it. And then we get to the book of Acts, and I'm thinking, this is great. We're going to hear about how these guys went and lived out what Jesus called them to. I don't know about you, but if you've read the book of Acts recently, the the thing I've noticed is that while some of them make a quick appearance here and there, we lose them. They, They kind of disappear from the records of Scripture. Now, there are there are traditions attributed to most of the apostles. We say that Thomas went off and ministered to India and ended up becoming uh, sort of the apostle to India. And and when uh, in the medieval times, uh, the the 1500s, between 500 and 1500, uh, missionaries were sent that direction. It was a surprise to find that there were already people in India that worshipped Jesus of Nazareth and had a a church system that existed. And it was attributed to Thomas because we had kind of lost history of where Thomas had gone and they talked about the apostle that had come and preached the gospel to them. Uh, in, In North Africa, there are a lot of churches that trace their roots all the way back to the days of the apostles independent of the Roman church, independent of the Greek Orthodox church, independent of any tradition that we would recognize in Western culture, these churches developed from the ministry of the apostles. And so we know that they didn't stop working, but we don't know their whole story. And I find that frustrating sometimes. I, I, I get a little uh, depressed. You know, whatever happened to uh, Judas, not the bad one, but the other Judas, what happened to him? Where did he go? What did he do? What about James? What about, what about these guys that we read about in Scripture, but we don't know where they headed? The story of the New Testament after the Gospels isn't so much the story about individuals as it is the story about the church as a whole. Now, there are a couple of individuals that play a really prominent role because we follow their story as they plant churches in different places. We have the writings of Paul who 
tends to and cares for these churches that he's helped to start, to plant, to seed, and have them grow and flourish. But the book of Acts is not the story of Paul. It's not the story of Peter. It's, it's not the story, certainly, of Thaddeus. It's not the story of, of any one apostle. It is the story of the work of God through men, through the individuals who comprise his church. And as I read through this, I see a, a de-emphasizing of the apostles in the narrative and an emphasizing of the work of the Spirit in God's church. Now, Paul plays a really prominent role. Again, I don't want to, uh, you know, pretend like Paul doesn't become a significant figure in the book of Acts. He is a significant figure. Peter, early in the book of Acts, up until, I think, chapter 12, is a significant figure and does a lot of really important and significant things. And then he's kind of, through the text, spirited away to some extent. He, it says, and then he went somewhere else. And we don't really hear a whole lot about Peter. You know, he kind of drifts in and out of the story a little bit. But the book of Acts is the story of God's spirit working through not one individual, but the church as a whole. And I want to tell you that I think what we read here in John chapter 21 is encouraging us to think about not what Jesus does with Peter, or what Jesus does with John, certainly not because none of them are thinking about this individual yet, Paul, or any of the other apostles, but what Jesus will do through us, me as an individual, to be concerned about the call that Jesus has for me and for the church collectively. How does my role within the church play into the bigger picture of what God is doing. Peter has the conversation with Jesus about feeding the sheep, and then Jesus appends that conversation by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He tells him, Peter, you have a role yet to play. There are things that are going to happen to you, and you may not have a whole lot of say in what those things might be. But I ask you, follow me. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to lead you somewhere. I'm going to ask you to do things for me. I have expectations for you. I have a job for you, a mission that I want to set you on. And Peter thinks, okay, that's great. It's all well and good, Jesus. I'm, I'm glad you're going to do something with me. But uh, I have my clicker off. What about that guy? What about him? What about... Oh, what about this man? And he points to the disciple whom Jesus loved. We say that's John, the writer of the book of John. Lord, what about this man? I know you've got a plan and a role for me. What are you going to do with him? And maybe could I do that too instead? I don't know if that's what Peter's thinking, but that kind of is the way that it reads to me as I read this. I know you have something in store for me, but what about him? 
And Jesus' words, I think, reveal to us a way that we're supposed to think about the mission he's given to us. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You, follow me. See, I believe that Jesus has a plan for Sean. And Jesus has a plan for Jesse and for Aaron. And Jesus has a plan for Zach. And Jesus has a plan for Charles. And Jesus has a plan for Elvern. And Jesus has a plan for David. And Jesus has a plan for Lorenda and for Rachel. And Jesus has a plan for... He has something he's going to do with each of us. He has a role for us in mind, a a specific outcome, a way in which we will walk and work. And when Jesus says that someone will lead you where you don't want to go, I I don't think he's talking specifically about you're going to be led by the hands to the gallows. I think he's saying my spirit's going to take you in a place that you may object to, that your natural self may say, I really don't want to do this. But my spirit in you will lead you to somewhere you don't want to go. Are we, are we willing to yield to the spirit even if what the spirit asks of us, if the direction it takes us in is a, a place it takes us that's a little uncomfortable? Because Peter gets taken to a lot of really uncomfortable places. In fact, the moment that Peter kind of drops out of the narrative of the book of Acts, he's just been in prison. He's, he's been in a situation where he's been arrested because he's a heretic, according to the Jews. He's a troublemaker, according to Herod. He is, he is a problem, a thorn in the side of those who are in authority and power in Israel, and maybe even a thorn in the side of the people of Rome. And he got there by doing exactly what God asks him to do. He upsets some people because he does exactly what God asks him to do. He gets himself in trouble because God asks him to do something and he does it. And this isn't unique to Peter. This happens to Paul, too. I don't know if you've ever read the end of the book of Acts really quickly through, but what you end up seeing with Paul is that he, he finds himself on trial and he's about to get out of it And he makes an appeal as a Roman citizen to go speak to Caesar. See, he's he's on trial because the Jews don't like him, because he's preaching the resurrection. He's on trial because he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, that in fact he is God, and that he will be the one to ultimately decide who lives eternally, and who does not have eternal life. And it gets him in a lot of hot water with the the Jewish authorities, and they pass him along to higher authorities within the Roman Empire. And as Paul is about to be acquitted, and, well, I find nothing wrong with this man, he says, I appeal to Caesar. And you're thinking, Paul, is that really the best idea? You were just about to be let go. But for the sake of his ministry he does something that seems so foolish on the surface. He travels off to Rome on the empire's dime. And it's there that he finds himself in in a situated apartment where he's able to write letters to the various churches that he's had interactions with. He's able to minister to people who are 
among Caesar's household. He's able to minister to the church in a secure and safe location, again, on the government's dime. It's kind of an interesting sort of arrangement that he ends up finding there for himself. He's shackled to a Roman soldier, but at the same time, he's able to continue his ministry, facilitated in a way that probably no other apostle was able to find themselves in because he yielded to what it was that God was calling him to. And the church grew as a result of it. The church grew because Peter yielded to the Spirit, because Paul yielded to the Spirit, because John, with his his small, intimate group of followers, yielded to the Spirit, because Thomas, who maybe went off to India, yielded to the Spirit, because Philip yielded to the Spirit and ran alongside a chariot. And so I ask you this morning, are we trying to ask the question, but what about him? Jesus, I know you have a plan for me. The Spirit, I feel you moving in me. I, I feel you asking me to go and do this work. But what about him? Can I have what you've given him? Can I have the role you've given to that person? Can I fill the ministry that you've given to that person? I, I recognize you have a plan for me, but I wish that plan was a little more shaped like the plan you have for him. And it all comes down to this idea of mission. Mission is without personal benefit. Mission is not about how I might be glorified. Mission is not about how I might be exalted or lifted up. It's not about my wants or even my needs. It's not about my safety. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my personal space. It's about what the Spirit is calling me to. The reason the first century church grew so quickly, the reason that the apostles were so effective in their ministry, it was not necessarily because Jesus had imbued them with amazing, wonderful gifts of healing and the ability to cast out demons and and the ability to raise the dead and the ability to lay on hands so that people might experience spiritual blessings that were far beyond what anyone could expect or imagine. Those were all good. It was because these, these men, these, these apostles, these appointed individuals were about the mission. And in ways that they could, they did. However God had called them, whatever he had blessed them with, the gift that he had placed upon them, whether it was the ability to appeal to their citizenship as a, mem- a, a citizen of Rome, or their ability to fade quietly into the background as the work of the church grew around them. They yielded to the mission, to the Spirit moving in them and directing their footsteps, to a remembrance of how Jesus himself had humbled himself to serve his followers. And so many of the apostles fade into quiet service of God's kingdom, that's what God calls them to. 
many of the apostles go on to be what we would call the, the elder of a particular church or to a group of people that, that they teach and instruct quietly and patiently, teaching them what they had learned from Jesus so that then those individuals could go and live the mission. And so I ask you this morning, what is your mission? When Jesus says, follow me, what is he calling you to? When you look at our body, we have a lot of people with wide-ranging gifts and abilities and talents. We have people who have different connections. We've talked before about the spheres of influence that we might have in our homes and our workplaces and our, our, our schools, the places that God has taken us, these places that only we can go in many cases. I'm not a teacher. I, I don't go into uh, classrooms in our school district. Actually, nobody goes into our classrooms in the school district right now. But I don't have middle school students that I interact with on a regular basis, but we have middle school teachers in our congregation who have a sphere of influence that is the families of their students, the students themselves, their co-workers within the school district, and their mission is very much to those people. We have individuals here who work in professional business places and under normal circumstances go to their offices and sit among their coworkers and, and have the opportunity to build relationships with them. And maybe their mission is to those people that they sit six feet away from on a daily basis or the individuals that they're staring into a Zoom screen with on a daily basis. Maybe your mission is to your next-door neighbor I don't know what your mission is, but I know what mine is. And sometimes I fight against that mission because sometimes the Spirit calls me to do some things that I'm really just not comfortable with or to say some things that, like, are you sure? That could probably get me in trouble with a few people. I've already got a big enough mouth. Do you really want me to put my foot inside of it? Sometimes the Spirit calls us to a mission that is uncomfortable but it's the one we've been called to. And if every one of us is on mission, we see the church grow. And there may not be a lot of glamour or benefit or glory in the particular mission we're called to as an individual, but the glory that we are called to as the church on mission, collectively, is the kingdom of God. bringing people into the fold, helping the church to grow, not by our power, but by the power of the Spirit that lives within us. So last week I asked you, in your mind, who are you feeding? Who is the person that you have in mind this week as you go about your day-to-day -day life that you will feed? And this week I want to ask you, what is your mission? Articulate it. You need to be able to say in your head, this is the mission that God has called me towards. And it may require a lot of prayer on your part to come to a determination about what that mission is. But if you don't know what your mission is, you can't be about that mission.
You can't be doing the work that God has called you to if you haven't considered what the work God is calling you to might be. Jesus places in Peter this this moment, I'm going to call you to follow me, and it's going to lead you where you may not want to go. And you're going to have to do some things you may not want to do. But follow me. John may get some glory. He may live until I come back. What's that to you? You follow me. And those words resonate in Peter's mind, and we see it in his life that he follows Jesus, and he struggles to do so sometimes. Sometimes he has to step wildly outside of the box that he's lived comfortably in for a long period of time, and he has to eat some unsavory things like bacon. I don't know. He has to interact with some people he might not have otherwise wanted to interact with, but he does it because he's on mission. Pray this week about what your mission will be, about what God is calling you to, about the sphere of influence he's given you, about the gifts and talents he's placed within you, about the Spirit's movement in your life, and ask yourself, what is my mission? How can I be about the work that God has called me to? And as a congregation, I think that the way the every part of this plays out is that we want to enable you in the mission that God has called you toward. That may be resources. That may be financially supporting you in the work that God is calling you to. It may be that we need to do some education and work on, on helping you understand better the role that God has called you to. It may be that we just need to come alongside you and help you out with that work. There may be other people in our congregation that are called to a similar mission as you, and we need to connect you better. We need each other in the unique missions that God has given to us so that the mission of the church can thrive and succeed. Let's pray about the mission that God has given to us. Our Father in heaven, we know the mission of the church to be light to the world, to proclaim the good news of a Savior that has saved us from our sin, from ourselves, from eternal damnation, from so many things, Father, that, that we can't list exactly what we've been saved from. It, it's a, an exhaustive and, and uh, difficult uh, to pin down list of things. But, Father, we believe that we have been saved. By the power of your Son, by his death, his burial, his resurrection, Father, that we believe that we follow a king who sits on the throne that is eternal. We believe, we believe that we have no reason to fear death. And we want to be on the mission of sharing that good news with others. And, Father, we know that broadly that is our mission, but as individuals, we want to know what our mission is. When you tell us as individuals to follow you, what does that look like? What is the work you are calling me to? What is the work that you are calling each individual within this congregation to? Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Help us to be still long enough to feel your spirit moving in us and guiding us and directing us. And when we're called to uncomfortable and difficult things, help us to yield. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our worship this morning. Jesse's going to come up and lead us. If you have need of the church and helping you to discover what mission Jesus has for you, or you want to accept the gospel, the good news that salvation has arrived in, in the person of Jesus Christ, we, we want to extend that opportunity to you this morning. I'm going to be in the back of the auditorium. Uh, if you have a prayer need, if you have any need of the church, uh, you can meet me back there, uh, or you can lean over and probably talk to your neighbor and, uh, and let them know what your need is this morning. Let's stand and, and worship. of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by Safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. This song will prepare our hearts and our minds for communion. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me in thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain. He 
white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as seems like ever-changing information about what's going on. We have the COVID-19 pandemic, we have posturing world leaders and political strife here in the U.S. Um, But I think it's important to remember through those times that uh, God's covenant with man uh, is not changing and hasn't changed and will not change through the relationship that Jesus. I'd like to read from Psalms 102, starting in verse 25. It kind of reiterates what, what Greg mentioned and what we dived into just now. So, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded but you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence, and their descendants will be established before you. I think it's uh, important that we remember uh, this at this time as we uh, say a prayer for the bread. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we can uh, gather around this uh, this table and, and remember your son by partaking in an emblem that represents his broken body. And through that body, we, we gain this uh, chance at everlasting life through relationship with him. We ask that those that are partaking at this time uh, partake in a manner that is pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray.
also told by the Hebrew writer that uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That was paid for by uh, for us through Jesus when he went on the cross. Please pray with me once more. Father in heaven, we come to you again, thanking you for this wonderful covenant that we have with you through your son. Please help us to understand the magnitude of what it means for his blood to be shed on the cross for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. stand for this last song. Pierce my ear, O Lord my God, take me to your door this day. I will serve no some uh, announcements this morning. I think they're uh, going to appear on the screen up there. 
first of all, there is a week of prayer uh, planned. Uh, I have this announcement here. I'm going to read it. For the past several years, each January, we have placed a special focus on prayer in some way. This year, we are excited to announce that we're organizing a week of prayer. That's going to happen January 24th through the 30th. Every day, we will focus on a different topic of prayer. We will be sending out via email and the Facebook group a prayer prompt, which will also include a scripture and an optional activity. If you want a paper copy, we'll have that available next Sunday as well. We want to encourage everyone to participate in this special time of prayer. Join us beginning next Sunday. Uh, so uh, you can see Kyle if, if you have other questions about that. Uh, but let's join together. This is a way that we can join together and stay connected and, of course, increase and encourage our prayer life. Any other announcements? If not, I'm going to close us out in prayer. Would you bow with me as we're dismissed?